It's Wednesday the 6th of December and you're listening to the Women's Football Talk podcast. Where do we start after these last few days? <laughs> How are you doing, everyone? Thank you for listening. I'm Brad. I'm joined by Regan, as ever. I know we said there's a lot to cover quite a bit on this podcast, but I think this week we actually mean it for a change. We've got a packed episode for you today. Loads of talking points after these last few days. The chaos and the carnage. It just That was just yesterday. I mean, I don't think we was expecting so much drama to happen like we said last week oh we wouldn't have a podcast next week because it's the international it'll be break. over by friday <laughs> yeah we'll have nothing to talk about it'll be all boring you know friday evening we get obviously the craziness of the england netherlands game then saturday we get all the uh uefa announcements on planned future tournaments monday we get more details on that and then uh last night we had the absolute drama of league a's final uh group games which may live in the ages yeah although i don't think england fans will actually want to remember it as much if we think about it because of the outcome in the end uh, i don't even know where to start do we have to i think we have to talk about friday first because that was just nuts yeah in itself netherlands completely but they didn't i don't even want to say they dominated england in that first half because it was it was poor defending from England when they actually did have a lot of the ball in the end. And Lynette Berenstein, just a very clinical player and one that every time I see her, I'm very impressed with. Oh, yeah. Like whenever she's playing either for Juventus in the Champions League or uh, with the Netherlands, she'll always put in a strong eight or nine out of ten performance. And there was no exception on uh, Friday evening. I mean, the way she took those goals just it made it look so easy for her. It did. And then going... The story, though, for that whole game was the second half. England, the inspirational half-time team talk from Serena Wiegmann. It just worked. Beth Mead coming on for her first England appearance. Been a year since she'd played for England and the team was inspired. Yeah, I mean, it's like what I've been saying about her since her return to Arsenal she has seemed to lifted the Arsenal squad and she seemed to do that with uh, England in the second half which seemed to give them a new lease of life. You could see they were stringing passes better together they looked more dangerous in the final third and then within what 10 minutes or so they've pulled one back and then 60 seconds later they're level again so it just shows what sort of impact Beth Mead can have I mean we were speaking when the squad was announced uh, is it right to have Beth Mead in the squad mainly because of like lack of games and fitness and then you look at what Nikita Paris has done so far this season and would it have been right if uh, she'd been left out for Paris? Yet it just shows the impact that she can have when she's playing, even if it is just 45 minutes. Yeah, and that's nothing against someone like Chloe Kelly who is very good in her own right. It just didn't happen in that Netherlands game at all. So you had to make a change that just galvanised the team a little bit more. And that came true. But Beth Mead isn't the only one who really spurred this team up because we're going to say one name in particular, a loss in this podcast, Lauren James. <laughs> oh my Jesus word. Christ. This, 
she was on another level at these last she, two games is incredible she is on another level at this minute in time like i'm genuinely the, asking myself now is she in the top three best in the world so bonmati yeah lauren james and who's the other one you've got in the conversation oh, see that's i didn't go that far <laughs> i didn't want to <laughs> go into that debate that's for another time uh yeah, oh my God, Lauren James. I mean, we'll talk about it more because I think she pressed so much more in the Scotland game. But the two assists to get England back in against Netherlands were just so similar and just so calm in the moment. It was like, yeah, I'm going to put that ball in. I don't know if someone's going to hit it. Yeah. It's one of them where I think it's she's got a proper striker's instinct of she knows where to put a ball in perfectly to, for where she would want it played into her if she was in the middle of the uh, box and I think that's what makes a true hallmark of a great forward player is if you're playing as the central forward or as a wide player in Lauren James's case is you know where to put it that ball nine times out of ten as long as someone's there they'll get onto it and they'll have a better opportunity of scoring and she did that with both of her assists this week and then followed in the next game by scoring twice it, with both of them just be the first one I guess you could say was very lucky the deflection was pretty big in the end but the second one which we put the clip of on Twitter and I think it's probably been the thing we've had most engagement with ever yeah. <laughs> quite frankly because the finish is sublime and yet it looked like she couldn't have made it look easy <laughs> she, she was so nonchalant about the finish it was on the celebration run off yeah like, oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. Cool. let's get back to i'll it do one. this it was just absolutely unreal the finish i mean i've just got it back up to look at it again and the curl she gets on it and it's just beautiful it's like the moment she hits it you knew it was in yeah because you're like that's top bins. You just knew it. Yeah, there was no way that wasn't going to go into the back of the net and England be uh, further ahead than the, uh, what they were. I mean, perfect first half for England in what needed to be uh, yesterday. 4 nil up at the break. Greenwood did open the scoring for them. Beth Mead getting the assist. Then Lauren James scoring those two goals within 60 seconds. And then Beth Mead getting her first goal. Uh, back for the Lionesses just before halftime, which Lauren James this time turned the assist there. So, I mean, what a perfect first half that was for her two goals and an assist. Yeah, the whole England team was just ruthless, which I can't remember the last time we saw it. I want to say it was the World Cup in one of the matches there. It had but... been a bit of a while um, since that like dominant performance. I think if I remember back to the final group game against China, I'd say that was probably England's most that dominant. That was where I was more or less thinking, yeah. Most dominant performance but, of recent times. Yeah, I feel like a lot of that also could come down to just... I don't know what it was with Scotland. They didn't seem fully at it for the most part. I think a lot of questions are being asked of now of the head coach. He, he's he been there a while and you know he's, he's been very... He has talked up that up Scotland saying they will get to a major tournament one day I think you're not not, not playing like that you won't you have got to like where was the performance from the first meeting against England yeah it was such it a, wasn't the same it was a, such a disheartening performance from Scotland compared to like you say that first game 
against England and then even their two resulting games against Belgium where they managed to pick up draws. They lost to the Netherlands in their second game against them, only 1-0. Like, it just it wasn't there for Scotland and it wouldn't be... So- it also doesn't help when the overall narrative at the start is, wait, are Scotland going to, you know, lie down for England a little bit? because of the Team GB Olympics qualification, which we all know realistically was never going to happen, but it, it sort of, like, scoreline would suggest it did, but... Well, yeah, it did like, naturally. It was just poor. It was just poor. Yeah, I mean, realistically, it could have been more than uh, the 6-0 and probably should have been. Yeah. My big thing with England in the second half was it did feel like they stopped a little bit at one point, where it was like, no, Netherlands are scoring here. Yeah. Go and score as many as possible. Like they got the fifth, like four or five minutes after the restart of the game uh, through Frank Kirby, but then after that, it, it did seem a bit lacklustre from England. Granted, you're not going to play at the same high intensity for you know ninety minutes, but the yeah no, I, I guess it's understandable in that point. But mm. then again, you can never you can never think in your mind, oh, bet Netherlands score four. Because no one would have had that, I think. No, definitely not. I mean, it's one of them where you just need to keep going and scoring as many as possible, regardless of what is happening elsewhere. Because you don't want to be having to fall into that boat, which England did, where their game was finished and they were trying to keep up to date with what was happening in the Netherlands-Belgian game. And then two goals in stoppage time from Damaris Egarula. Uh, completely changed that for England and any potential Team GB at uh, the Olympics next year. Yeah, they weren't the only ones struggling to keep up with it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm there, it was just the space of five minutes, this chaos. I saw the third goal for Netherlands come up. It was like, oh, God, <laughs> no. And then literally 10 seconds later, Lucy Bronze scored the stick, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, you're like, yes, England the would have there. England finished top of the group. And then into stoppage time, Damaris went, yeah, no, England, mm. you're not having that. And he was somewhat as well because everyone thought it was Viviana Miedemar that had scored. Everyone was saying it's Miedemar who's done it. And it's like, that's a moment in itself if she's the one who's won it. But mm. then Egarola has obviously been credited in the end. Which is weird because the Netherlands themselves were the only ones I saw credit Damaris with the goal. Do you know what happened as well? What confused me? They tweeted Egarola and I thought, oh, they just retweeted the third. I didn't know it really confused me. I was mm. like, have they scored a fourth here or is this just them saying the third one? Yeah, because yeah. everyone else and everywhere else seemed to be crediting uh, Miedemar with the goal, yet no one was right because it was uh, Damaris Egarola who I think headed it pretty much uh from inside the six-yard box and yeah. into the net uh, to send Netherlands top of UEFA Nations League A1 and through to the uh, semi-finals, where they will be joined by France, Germany, and Spain in the finals, which take place in February next year. Yeah, I think there should be interesting games there. I think the expectation is Spain would win it all. I think that's, that's just an easy answer to say because they are the best team in the world currently and you would expect them to I mean but they haven't had... to say they would be easy they haven't had it, it easy be... though for um, this international break I mean they lost 3-2 to Italy were... the first game and then 5-3 against uh, Sweden yesterday 
Because say they were in a thrill of themselves yesterday, and against Sweden, who the first time ever they're not going to be at the Olympics either. Yeah, which is that that one's more surprising. Yeah, but the Nations League group they were in made it tougher. Definitely. I mean, when you're in a group with Italy, Spain, and Switzerland, it was always going to be very hard, um, especially Spain, world champions. Trying to knock them off their perch was always going to be an impossible task for anyone to do. But yeah, I mean, for the first ever Nations League group stages, obviously the women's edition, I think uh, it was really good. All the leagues, um, even down to like Group C, uh, 4 and 5, we had some really good games. We saw some good teams come out from it and we didn't get like what we've seen in the international friendlies of teams winning like 15, 20 nil, like the score lines were a lot fewer. So it's definitely uh, an improvement in that sense. I, um, I think it's something that obviously will still take a bit of time getting used to, uh, a bit like the men's one uh, did. But I think overall, it's, uh, this year's group stages were a success. Yeah, I feel, I feel okay about the Nations League. I think it has a better effect in the women's game than it does the men's, if I'm honest. Mm. Other than that, I think it's it's still got room to grow as well because I do worry in time we'll start seeing complaints of well, massive teams like Sweden are missing out because they have to keep playing these really good teams. Well, they probably won't next year, although they're in a relegation playoff considering they finished third, so they might still stay in league A. It's going to be a uh, very interesting playoff, both for the uh, semi-finals and, like you say, the relegation playoffs for the other teams uh, to stay in their respective leagues. Uh, but, yeah, I do think overall it's been much better uh, for the women's game than I think I was expecting personally. And the fact that uh, we've seen some of these better teams finish top of their groups and get promoted, the likes of... Uh, Israel finishing top of uh, Group C4, scoring 21 goals, only conceding two uh, throughout their whole group stage campaign. And uh, I think Sharon Beck, who plays for them, finished the top goal scorer in that group stages with like nine goals, including a hat-trick against Estonia the other day. So it's bringing light to some of these smaller nations that they're actually not as bad as what people think. And they've got some good players on the rise. Yeah, which is the main one of the, one of the main reasons the the Nations League was brought in in the first place. Uh, last thing, one of the last things I want to add with the international break, obviously no Team GB now. At Paris twenty twenty four. Is that a disappointment? Because I feel like there's a positive and a negative to it. I mean, it's it is disappointing for obviously the Team GB representatives, but let's be honest, if we think back to the 2020 Olympics, when there was a Team GB squad there for the women's football, most of that was made up of England players anyway. I think there was like a couple of mm. Scottish players and maybe a Welsh player, I think. I can't remember fully. Yeah, I was already thinking ahead of time, really, what if they did qualify? Like, how do you how do you space out bringing in Scotland players, Wales players and Northern Ireland players into this? It's like... Yeah, it feels bad for a lot of the England players who would miss out in that case, but they're going to get the summer off now, which could be for the the betterment of player welfare, which 
is a positive in this case. But yeah, I mean, we don't know think... how early the Champions League group stages qualifiers are going to be starting next season and like which teams Some of them, yeah. uh, are going to be having to do it. So it's good for that. We'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I th- disappointing. But at the same time, like you say, I think for player welfare and management of like overloaded games, uh, I think it's better that they missed out in that sense so they can have a summer off um, before obviously starting again for the 24-25 campaign, both league-wise and then obviously there'll be qualifiers for 2025 European Championships uh, starting as well uh, next autumn. Yeah, obviously England are going to be devastated. There's a lot of going around now. They're, they're obviously hurt by it. it was They lost it earlier in the group stages yeah the, not yesterday that three like, two defeat to belgium yeah. is what cost them mm. because performances overall were never good enough no i mean post world cup they've been hit and miss uh so far and um yeah that game against belgium definitely cost uh england and their place at the olympics next season or next year sorry yeah uh, the last thing I also wanted to add at the international break, Christine Sinclair played her last game for Canada as well. That was a sad time for them. I liked that you know, they named the stadium after her. Yeah. That was nice. Christine Sinclair place. Beating... Uh... That's just what she calls her home. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, beating Australia by one goal to nil. Um, a good international break for... Canada actually winning the other game against uh, Australia, five goals to nil. Uh, so that means three games in a row now they've kept clean sheets. Although I feel like there's an aspect that has to be added. Apparently Australia made a couple of changes. Yeah. In the, that. It was a lot of the fringe players rather than... Yeah, the first game the, was a lot of The main players. stars. But small asterisk, fair play Canada. Mm. Uh, but yeah, Christine Sinclair finishing her international career as the top goal scorer in international football, men's or women's. Uh, a fantastic career at Canada. Um, yeah, just absolutely unreal uh, what she's done for Canadian women's football and women's football in general. And no wonder she's regarded as the GOAT by so many because of what she's done for was, the women's game. I was about to ask then, like, is she one of the GOATs overall? Are we putting her in that category? Yes, without a shadow of doubt. And that's the, the best place to live the international break talk for, well, 2023. That's <laughs> it. Is. That is it. Um, the next one, I'm going to guess, is February. The Nations League finals are then. Yeah. And then uh, the other teams probably be playing in, like, I don't know, I'd imagine the Arnold Clark Cup would come back around for England. Yes. <laughs> uh, and other tournaments of a similar vein, uh, they will probably be around in that February international break. A little bit of the Arnold Clark Cup. Uh, <laughs> anyway, let's move on. Uh, club football talk now. Because as we said at the start of the show, on Saturday, all the talk from the beginning of the season were around Champions League formats. Do we have to start talking about changing it because some big clubs have come out? Well, turns out UEFA really were listening because they've announced that the format will be changing. From the 2025, <laughs> the what? This is 2025. <laughs> is that a new year? <laughs> this is autistic. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, 
Set me off now. Good. From the 2025-26 season, it'll be changing. Uh, it'll be a 18-team league phase with six matches per club, three home, three away, followed by the knockout round. So similar to what the men's UEFA Champions League is going to be like next season. So the Swiss model as it's uh, known. Uh, so yeah, it's expanded in the way that two teams have been added extra, although that, I'm not really classing that an ex- as an expansion. Um, so what are your... You still wrote that. <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? expansion slash change for it uh it was needed wasn't it i think if you're going from a prestige level the champions league needs effectively the best teams to be involved and this is clearly the best way uefa believe that that can happen yeah i mean i think for me personally i would have liked maybe just kept the group format because well, this is only its third year this season uh, that it's currently in of its new uh, group stage because obviously previous to that it was like a knockout stage format uh, where the teams would play pretty much like say like the round of 32 and then they'd be cut down like that um, so I would prefer to say like it grow to 24 to 28 teams but kept group stage format uh for a couple of years and then if that if you're gonna do that i feel like it would have to have been 32 then just to make it easier in terms of getting to the the next stage properly yeah um i think it's just something that i would have preferred to have seen gone down that route considering the group stage format isn't that very old in the women's game um, so the fact that they're going to be abandoning it within the next two seasons to go down this Swiss model is going to be interesting to see if that actually works because obviously they also announced uh, Saturday slash into Monday that a secondary uh, European competition will be launched uh, also ahead of that 2025-26 season. So a an equivalent to the Men's Europa League. Yeah, although it's not called the Europa League as of time of recording. They haven't named it at all, No, interestingly. Oh, even though we know it's probably going to be the Women's Europa League, it just seems the easy option. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I think, again, to help the women's game grow, get more teams in it, um, whether that be teams who miss out on the Champions League group, uh, league phase, because obviously they'll be dropping down into it, and obviously teams finishing in other positions uh, in their respective leagues getting that. It's again a good thing for the women's game to have that secondary European tournament to help the game continue to grow. But again, it's we're going to be seeing teams that uh, repeatedly finish, say, uh, losers of the. UEFA Champions League playoff match and then go on to win that secondary Europa League and just becoming the severe basically of it. Yeah, I get what you mean. When I yeah, when I first saw through the format of it, I looked up to it and thought, okay, so the winners don't even go into the, the league stage of the Champions League. They're just gonna go into that last playoff round again. Yeah. Where for all we know they, they don't win and then it's back into the the second tier tournament where they probably win that again because they're too good. Yeah, it just becomes for, a repeated cycle. You don't know. You never know. It's exactly. 
yeah, it's how it plays out in the end, I guess. Mm. I just thought if you have them win the league stage, then you've created this intrigue of, oh, a different team can win it every season. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's something that obviously UEFA will work on over the next year or so before it launches in the 2025-26 season. But um, I'm hoping we do get more clarification on stuff like that and hopefully it becomes a lot easier to understand and follow in that sense uh, rather than what it looks like on the outset because it does seem very confusing and very strange looking on it from face value like you've just said about it. Yeah, like the main positive from this is more exposure for teams to experience playing other club clubs from across different European leagues. Some of them might not be full-time mm-hmm. as well, I thought about. So that's another question mark in there as well. I also hope that it just avoids the stigma that we know the Europa League can have in the men's game. Like we know it can't be the equal of the women's Champions League straight away. But mm-hmm. it is important that this new competition doesn't feel like a necessity to some teams. And I don't think that'll be like that straight away. Like over time, yeah. something like that starts to happen. We've we've got to avoid that happening with I guess the bigger clubs rather than teams who aren't used to being in European competitions. Yeah. And I think one also thing I would have liked to have seen, um, which I think is going to be happening uh, with the new league path of the Champions League, is more teams will be automatically qualifying. So I'm just looking at here. Uh, yes, yeah, so what I'd seen, I, David, I remember it, it was all the so the league winners from basically the top four associations. So I don't know what the top four are, but I would gather it's England, Spain, unless Barcelona won, of course. Germany and France. Germany would be in there, France, maybe Italy. Uh, so Given what, wrote. from what I can see here, uh, and I'm just taking this on face value, uh, it's from a page called UEFA Rankings uh, Spain, and they've put out a post of what the provisional rankings would look like for that 2025-26 season, uh, currently looking at how the uh, new Champions League would work. So the title holders from the previous season's Champions League would also automatically go in, obviously. So let's say Barcelona. Barcelona. Then the champions and runners-up from France and Germany would automatically enter, as they're the top two associated nations. Then the champions from Spain, England, Italy and Portugal would automatically be in the league phase. Yeah, I can't remember. I don't know who the Portugal league winners were. I want to say it was Benfica, just to be be certain about that. And then everyone else would enter via uh, the playoffs. Hmm. I think what I'd say, I wrote it down on our article on our Substack. That's womensfootballtalk.substack.com, where you can check out the article where we explained the format. Mm -hmm. Manchester United, if it had come in for this season, they would have been in the league stage. Because second place, I believe, they might now start getting automatic spots. If you're in the top two associated nations. So that's why yes. I was saying, like, with France and Germany, their champions and runners-up, as it stands, would be going there. So Bayern Munich and Wolfsburg, Lyon and PSG. I would have gathered England would have been there last season after having two clubs in the semi-finals. Uh, possibly, yes. Uh, so that's how that would work. And then the nations, or the Europa League, would be... 
the third place teams in uh, one, two, three, four, five, six leagues, and then the runners up in other leagues. I've just thought of something that was quite funny going back to the second tier competition because mm-hmm. they were talking about the associations then. I think it went to eight to 13th, but then it weirdly jumped from associations ranked 18th to 24th. I was like, what about 14th to 17th? Yeah, so <laughs> what happens with her? <laughs> I don't know because I'm looking here and now, and uh, that, that is currently the Belarus. Iceland, Scotland, and Kazakhstan. There's going to be some um, real travels <laughs> in this yeah, they, second tier competition, isn't there? They would be the teams missing, like their third place wouldn't go into that secondary competition, but the winners would go into the champion. Winners and runners up would go into the Champions League. Yeah, but as we said, format fully explained on our Substack. Go check that out. Uh, I don't know if you heard any, any other thoughts. Uh, I don't know if there was any more we could discuss. No, I haven't got any more thoughts on that. Um, the only other thing that UEFA announced um, this past weekend was the planned scheduled uh, running of uh, the Euros for the match days in 2025 in Switzerland, uh, starting on the 2nd of July in Basel at St. Jacob's Park and then finishing on the 27th of July also in Basel in St. Jacobs Park. So we know where the games are going to be played. I think by this time next year they'll probably have uh, the draw for the final competition. Um, yeah, you'd think so, yeah. I don't know when the draw for the groups are going to be made actually. I think that'd be early next year. You'd hope, yeah, you'd gather. I feel like I don't know why they always like a draw in December, don't they? Yeah. Um but overall I think good that we've seen uh, the competition grow uh, both the Champions League and then obviously a secondary uh, competition coming so let's hope for uh, some more good international club football if that makes sense yes sorry when I said draws in December I instantly my mind just went back to what happened on Saturday (laughs) (laughs) I was like oh god that better not happen again (laughs) So the WSL is back on Saturday. Uh, before we get to that, though, there were two other bits of important news concerning domestic football here in England. Firstly, on Monday, we saw that the UK government accepted the recommendations of Karen Carney's women's football review. And overall, it looked like a lot of stuff in there is, is going to be very positive news for the women's game in general the, we could go into details as much as possible but I, I think it's best that everyone finds themselves reading into it. it there's a lot of good info in there again if the, a lot of this comes off it's going to be very good mm-hmm. for the development of the women's game i think the big what are your thoughts yeah the, on all this? the big talking point uh from it is obviously the uh uk uh government supporting the uh scrapping or potential scrapping of uh, the 3pm blackout in the United Kingdom which currently means games on a Saturday at 3pm can't be shown on television in England uh, I, I think it's only England, I don't think it goes as far wide as Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland, <clears throat> I may be wrong 
Yeah, but it's just so it's horrible. It's a horrible thing that, like, I could understand back in the day, but now it's like, oh, come on. It's one of them. Everyone's still gonna go. I think it's been proven enough that people will still want to go to games for the atmosphere. And my thing is, right? They, if we're trying to grow the women's game as much as possible, there isn't a time currently during like so. WSL games are either a Friday night, which is very rare, a Saturday lunchtime, or Sunday uh, lunchtime and Sunday evening. And they're usually clashing with another game. So Friday evening it can be either Friday night in the Premier League or a Championship League One, League Two game. It's clashing with Saturday lunchtime is obviously clashes with the of twelve Premier League game, and then Sunday uh, midday game doesn't usually clash with any Premier League game because they're usually two p.m. onwards. But uh, the end of the men's Premier League games on a Sunday is usually half four is the late kickoff and it finishes about uh, six, half six-ish, maybe a bit later. And that will be clashing with the overlap of the women's game. So I'm like, when is there a time realistically that we can have just women's football on in the WSL and it not be clashing with uh, a men's game on TV? And I think that's where the 3pm idea comes in. And I think that would be beneficial in that sense because it would probably only be still one or two games that are shoved on a week at 3pm on a Saturday because it's not going to conflict with other women's games because they are still on Sunday. And Yeah, I, th- I, I get I get all that point. Oh, the only thing I thought of when that came into, to, when that was mentioned as an idea, I just thought you really then have to try and make sure that they're not clashing with maybe their men's team playing at 3 o'clock as well. Yeah, because it, it's one of them where it's so hard to try and do that, like not be clashing in that sense with the men's team so that you can still get good attendances um, for them. So, I mean, if it was just to take this weekend into consideration, right? So in uh, the women's game on Saturday is Manchester City versus Aston Villa. Uh, at midday now obviously that doesn't clash with the men's Aston Villa game because they're on later on in the evening and it doesn't clash with Man City because they play on the Sunday but it clashes with Crystal Palace Liverpool because that's on half 12 and as much as the women's game is growing more people will probably still choose to watch Palace versus Liverpool yeah uh, yeah it's understandable it's understandable <laughs> currently mm. I, can, I can get that one I just hope that it's. I think overall, I'm, I'm switching tangents from that. Player welfare, I think, needs to be at the forefront of this of the new recommendations. That it sounds like that that is what it is going to be. Yeah, definitely. Um, something that obviously a lot of people have been talking about, both in the women's game and the men's game, a lot recent over the last couple of years since the return of football post COVID, is how much football is going on playing club football, international football seems to be on a meteoric rise at the minute with the amount of tournaments and games that players are playing in. I mean, it's not uncommon in the men's game to see players playing 60 plus games nowadays if they go all the way to the finals in uh, every competition. Yeah, and another thing that also had come days before this as well, it was the agreement, was it agreement that they had been mentioned as well that 
the Women's Super League and the Women's Championship clubs had agreed to form a club-owned organisation to run women's professional league football in England. That's starting from next season. They're still under the name Newco, which they better change very soon. It's just a bit plain, isn't it? Yeah, it sounds boring. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what they call themselves, though, because you can't be like the Premier League. You, you can't call yourself the the super league <laughs> it's mm. yeah it's a difficult one i'm glad i'm not choosing the name <laughs> i wouldn't want to be responsible for that yeah but um overall it seems like a good idea it's because stepping away from mm. the fa allowing the women's game to continue to grow um obviously there had been sticking points and there it was the championship clubs were i think it was down to voting rights yeah. something like that they I can't remember off the top of my head, even though I have the information in front of me and nothing's mentioned there. But like the overall, as long as we see a positive impact on the game, then we can only hope that we see improvement in developments. Yeah. Um, and there's also been the possible, and um, we've mentioned it before, talk of uh, league expansion, there's that to do. I think that happens now with the Champions League coming it's guaranteed I think I'll give it in the next five years mm. and a big thing uh, we've been talking about ourselves not on this podcast but uh, indirectly is obviously the TV deals currently in the uh, WSL with Sky and BBC uh, they end at the end of this season and of course I need to at what did Sky announced just this week they've announced increased coverage of their Premier League. So, yeah, like that's every Sunday two o'clock game on TV. Yeah, and then so more and more, I think I don't think Sky are keeping them. You know, I, I just more and more, I can't see it happening. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me that it's dropped from Sky. I mean, we'll have an article out soon enough uh, looking at uh, the whole broadcast package deal with the WSL and everything going around it and who could potentially be new um, providers for the WSL. But yeah, I think it's... If you're if you're I'm looking at the likes of DAZN in this, because in this next this next Premier League deal, it's been announced that there's no, effectively no streaming partners, no Amazon, nothing. It's just Sky and TNT. Yeah. If I'm a DAZN, I'm thinking maybe this is the time to go all in on women's football. Yeah, uh, the only thing um, that isn't on Sky and BB, um, Sky and TNT is obviously the highlights, which is going to be on the BBC. So maybe the BBC continues. I'd like the, the show. BBC to keep one or two games. I think though, here and there. For me, uh, I mentioned it in the article that will be coming out soon. Is I want an increased coverage of it, like what Sky do at yeah. the minute. Um, but obviously that is something to I have to say massive criticism I know it's just as accessible on iPlay and I think but why do you always put the women's football highlights at midnight yeah <laughs> what you need like um a better time slot maybe like nine ten o'clock because the women's games you... even if it just has to go on BBC three at a better time slot because yeah, I mean the weekend in the WSL is usually finished by eight o'clock Hmm. Uh, so maybe like 10 p.m., like 20 past 10, like match of the day on a Sunday, but put it on BBC Three. BBC on BBC Four. Three, because I'd... BBC Four. <laughs> I don't know, it's still around, isn't it? Yeah, but I'm thinking demographics here. 
anyway, that's not. Uh, our sure. I, don't know. I remember Caesar about BBC Four. Apparently, not it won't exist in a few years. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. Well, anyway, that's <laughs> I'm not speculating. Yes, that's not ours to worry about. What is ours to worry about is this weekend in the WSL because. We've got uh, a couple more games to go before uh, we are done for 2023. And by a couple of more games, I literally mean this weekend and next weekend, and then we're done for WSL action. Um, so to start off Saturday midday, it is Manchester City versus Aston Villa. Man City coming into it, obviously, after thrashing Tottenham last time out, 7-0. Uh, Aston Villa on the back of a defeat to Everton last time out, so... Villa need to find something to go their way again, but it's going to be a tough ask for them, this one. Yeah, it's it don't look great for Villa, if I'm honest. If Man City are as ruthless as they were against Tottenham, it's going to be a similar scoreline, I think. Yeah. I think for Villa as well, just, just be a bit more wary defensively. Don't go into it the same way you did against Chelsea. There's, there's taking it to the opposition and trying to get something. And then just being reckless defensively. We just want to see what they did last season, basically come back around. Mm. Find the balance. Definitely. So. On to Sunday's fixtures now. And we have a cracker coming up to start us off with Arsenal versus Chelsea. Over 55,000 tickets have been sold for this one. I remember seeing earlier on this week, or it may have been like Yeah, they're going to get close to selling out the Emirates for, for this massive fixture you could argue that it is the biggest fixture in the entire WSL based on the fan bases and the history and success of these two teams mm-hmm. and I think you could already decide the title race if Arsenal lose this I didn't want to say that out loud just yet but I think secretly we're all thinking it and yeah. like yeah Chelsea win this it's very hard to see how they lose the title and aren't they playing Manchester United next week after that uh no, they play Bristol City the to end. Oh well, twenty twenty three. Yeah, we call them even playing. You know, idiot. We play them um, the first uh, game back in twenty twenty four. That's why. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And then the final um, day of the season. If if it wasn't over before, then <laughs> it could absolutely be by the time they first play Manchester United. Mm. Uh, both teams coming in. I don't know how to call this game though. If I'm honest, I'm, I'm... yeah. Still think it's very open. I mean, both teams coming into it on the back of wins, respectively, before the international break in the WSL. Chelsea just look formidable. And I think Lauren James is going to cause Arsenal's defence so many problems. That is true, but you'd also think, right, surely we know how to deal with her right now. If we've seen enough of her, we find a way. But of course, Lauren James herself always finds a way to make things happen. And it's weird with Chelsea. I forgot to say this earlier. Chelsea could afford to play her out wide and she'll still cause massive problems, even though I definitely think her best position is in the middle. Mm. It's something that is uh, going to be interesting to see how Emma Hayes sets up. Uh, another bit of Chelsea news before we move on to the rest of the weekend's uh, games was Guru Wrighton has signed a new contract to remain uh, with them. So, again, a fantastic player to keep at Chelsea, obviously post Emma Hayes era, uh, and what a player she has been for Chelsea. Yeah, says a lot for her to commit, even after all that. I feel like if she's committing, then many 
others probably would as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, a quick look at the rest of Sunday's fixtures. Now we have Brighton versus Leicester City at 2pm, as well as Liverpool versus Bristol City. At 3 o'clock it is West Ham versus Everton. Both teams needing uh, wins in that one, uh, obviously. Def- yeah, definitely. <laughs> and then uh, to round off the weekend, it is Tottenham versus Manchester United. So fourth versus sixth place as it stands. I think if you're Tottenham, you want to get something from that. I think Manchester United are a bit hit and miss here and there. Mm. Don't know uh, as of time recording any updates on whether Beth England will be back for that this weekend, or is it more likely going to be 2024 that we see her play for Spurs? Yeah, I mean it, it's still pretty uh, pretty early in the week. It's obviously Wednesday where we are recording this, and there's no team news yet. Mm. I mean, there's obviously. Um, same with Guru Wrighton as well for Chelsea because obviously she was walking around pretty well in all the the promotional footage for extending a new contract. So I don't know what's happened with her injury. Yeah, I mean that may have been shot before. She signed it six, like three months ago, <laughs> and yeah. they've just waited. Possibly, you never know. And then obviously, I, I doubt it. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was the other thing I was going to say on that now? Uh, yeah, there's also Conti Cup games coming up as well uh, over the next like uh, 10 days or so before the end of uh, the 2023 women's game. So uh, if Beth England isn't back for this weekend, she could be back for the North London derby in the Conti Cup. Uh, Perfect timing. Next Wednesday, a week today. Hmm. I think that would be the best game for her to come back and then immediately just prove, yeah, I'm here. Because <laughs> isn't it also the North London derby next weekend as well in the league? I want to say yes. So two North London derbies coming up in the space of like four or five days of each other. And obviously the one that, yeah, we would be in next week as well. It's at the Tottenham Stadium as well, which I would hope would be one of their be- their best attendances as well. Yes, definitely. Right, Um Anything else in the world of women's football that we've missed? No, funnily enough, I cannot think of much else. I think we covered a good amount of stuff that happened in the last few days. Yes. Uh, we'll be back next week to recap any of the, well, all of the WSL action uh, and any talking points from around the world of women's football. I I don't know what else we've got to look forward to. Is Champions League? But yeah, Champions League will be back next week as well. Uh, so we can have a quick look at that and yeah, that'll be it. In the meantime, uh, thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast. Make sure you subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts from. Make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram, uh, women's football talk for all the latest news and stories from around the world of women's football. Like Brad mentioned earlier, our Substack where we have our website, where we put up articles very regularly, uh, women's football talk.substack.com. And subscribe to our YouTube channel, Women's Football Talk, where we'll have a preview looking at the WSL weekend and anything else as well to come out of the world of women's football. In the meantime, we'll see you soon.